Jesus, thank you that you are our authority. Thank you that, Jesus, you give us the Bible uh, to help us walk in wisdom. Thank you that you know what is best, what is right, what is good. Thank you that you see all the course of time and space uh, from a perfectly clear, perfectly wise, perfectly all-knowing place that we do not have. Uh, So we just admit, even before you this morning, that we are limited in scope, uh, that we are limited in view, and that we can trust you and come underneath you. Um, to walk in ways that are helpful and ultimately glorifying to your name. We pray you'd instruct us, challenge us, convict us, exhort us in the ways we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. First Peter chapter 2, uh, what we've been learning in First Peter, if you're new to uh, just gathering with us, we'd love to take books of the Bible and just walk through them verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter, so you can see the whole counsel of God, and we worship Jesus here. That's why we sing. That's why we sit under teaching. That's why we observe the Lord's Supper each week. Um, we don't believe that adds to Jesus' work. We believe it nourishes you, reminding yourself of Jesus' work and what he's done. Uh, we, we do these things because we um, believe that Jesus is the cornerstone, and Peter's been talking about that. A couple weeks ago, he's been kind of walking us and ushering us towards that Jesus is the central thing to all that we do. He's the one that purchased us as elect exiles. He's the one who gave us the inheritance. He is the one who now sends us on mission. And last week, we saw that we are a people who Jesus is the cornerstone of, and we've been brought into community with, and that now we're sent on a mission. And last week, we saw that strangeness is actually the ways by which the watching world will see the name and renown of Jesus. And uh, this week, and Really, I, I kind of realized this morning as I was back reflecting, he, he kind of just heads into uh, a week, couple weeks on submission here. Um, he look, is going to tackle this morning kind of what does it look like to submit to human institutions and authorities, and then next week it looks more like kind of the workplace, and then he gives a great view of the gospel, and then he gets into marriage. And so we've got an exciting couple of weeks together to talk about a subject that I know all of you were dying to talk about, which is submit. Uh, I know all of you were eager to hear me tell you to submit, right, to something, or, or that just brought warm feelings to you. And so uh, this is where he is, though, and he's going to show us that um, this is a profound way by which people will see Jesus Christ. The ways by which we operate as a people, even in society and culture, is a way by which people will either see a proper reflection of Jesus or a humiliating and horrific reflection of Jesus. So um, let me just... Um, throw out a phrase to you, and I want to think about how you would respond. Um, Do as you're told. Doesn't that just make you feel warm? Right? Submit. Right? We love these words. Just even me saying that, how does it make you feel? Fuzzy? Warm? Inviting? You're like, oh, I love this pastor. He's just so grace-filled, right? Um, These are just phrases uh, that we don't really care for, but, but real quick, I want you to flip to John chapter 8 so I can show you something. Just do as you're told. Um, th- this, this is why, why is it we don't like these phrases? I mean, is it because we learned it from Jesus? Like, why don't we like the, to, to hear people say these types of things to us? Because uh, the first thing you have to understand is submission ultimately and always starts with God. It ends with God. God exists in a Trinitarian nature. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God the Son was always fully, gladly, joyfully submitted to the Father. The the place that you'll even see submission operating in its most beautiful sense is God first. So we take our cues from God. Look at John 8, 28. I'm just going to go through a couple of these real quickly. Look at what Jesus says. John 8, 28. I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. So Jesus did nothing on his own, 
and he only said what the father told him to say. That's how he lived his whole life. Just totally submitted to the Father. You can flip to chapter 12, verse 49, right? I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So Jesus just went through his whole life totally submitted to someone. Jesus wasn't like, uh, obviously he was fully God, fully man, ultimately free in his deity, but he still viewed, presented, lived underneath the submission to his Father, and it says in this text here that not only whatever was he told to say, but exactly how he was told to say it. He took his cue from God the Father. You can go flip another chapter, John 14, 31. But the world must learn that I love the Father, and I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. I'm like, wait, Jesus, you did exactly what the Father told you to do, and you never complained. You never whined. (laughs) You were fully submitted to this. See, when I get into a text like this morning, even when I study it and and I read, be subject to authority, be subject to human institutions, as as I read that, that, that's negative to us and that's negative to me, but we didn't learn that from Jesus. Like, like we, we, we didn't learn that it's negative from the one that we follow. Uh, We've created that. So, so we've manipulated terms, we've manipulated how things should be and not followed our cues from Jesus. So I was thinking, well, where do we get this attitude then? Because I think the same way most people do. I don't want anyone telling me what to do, right? Who likes that, right? I mean, who enjoys someone just instructing you constantly or telling you the ways by which you should live and what you should do? I was thinking about how I'm growing up, and I still think today, this is just culture. Almost every song that is just hitting the charts is based upon rebellion, right? I mean, I remember junior high and high school growing up. I don't know if any of you are in my generation. Maybe you're either past it or not there yet. But, but all the songs that came out were all about this, right? Since you've been gone, <laughs> I can breathe for the first time. I'm so moving on. That's Kelly Clarkson. You guys not familiar with? It's just I can just do whatever I want, right? I mean, you got, uh, what is it, that one that's like, like uh, we don't need no education. Hey, teachers. Leave those kids alone. Do you guys don't know these songs? Am I like in a weird generational gap? No one's helping me, right? These are the songs. Oh, come on, come on. You got to fight for your right, yeah, to party. Yeah, it's just, it's just this, finally, some of you, some of you like the Beastie Boys, you pagans. I, I didn't like them. I just heard them. So, so here's, here's, here's the truth. You, you got these songs that are just filling your mind with this message of just rebellion. This is what we do. This is how we're programmed. So the Bible comes along and talks totally counterculturally, and we're like, what's that? Like, like what do you, but we're not taking our cues from culture. We're taking our cues from Jesus. I think one of the most beautiful pictures is from Matthew 26. He's in the garden right before he's crucified, and he says this. He fell to his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Right, Jesus submitted to everything the Father asked him to do. Now in just a few hours, he knew he was going to be nailed to the cross. He falls to his face and says, is there any other way to do this? Yet, yet ultimately, not what I want, but what you want, right? You can see the, the agony in Jesus and his humanity. But ultimately, at the end of the day, his, his cards were with the Father, um, ultimately, it's what you say. It's what you've asked me to do. Submission wasn't an easy thing, but it was a beautiful thing. 
It was never an easy thing, but it was a beautiful thing. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to get this. We're called by God to actually model the submission of Jesus so that people could see a picture of how wonderful it is to follow Jesus. Now, I say this because Peter's going to show us this morning another part of our mission is submission. We're called to actually obey earthly authority as a way to point to and honor God's sovereign authority. We're called to actually obey earthly authority as a way to point to and honor God's sovereign authority. So at this point, Christians were publicly persecuted, ostracized, opposed, and people spoke evil of them and against them. The question is always, how are they going to respond? What are they going to do? 1 Peter 2, verse 13, here's what he says. Be subject or submitted for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So Peter says, a way that we live as a light to a lost world, as a witness of God's work and name, is by the way that we submit to and come under the human authorities, the human establishments that we find ourselves under. Now, that language, human institutions, Romans 13 talks a lot about this. You'll see a a similar vein there. Uh, It's more strictly talking to government. Here, Peter's talking about kind of God's creative language, which is primarily work family, and government. So when he says, be subject to every human institution, he's talking about all of these different lanes. So it's not just government, it's you and your workplace, whether it's in the home, whether it's in school, whatever those guidelines are, whatever those parameters are, we joyfully live within those because we're modeling and telling of a greater story, of a greater king, of a greater kingdom. That's our job. That's part of our mission. So if you are a citizen of this country, it means you obey the laws that you like and the ones you don't like. Um, If you are someone who works under a boss, it means you obey your boss. It means you do what you are told. If you are a student, it means you listen to your teachers and do what your teachers ask. If you're a child in the home under the authority of your parents, it means that you submit to and respect and do what your parents ask you to do. That's what the Bible's teaching. That's what the Bible's showing. Um, It means we don't try to find loopholes Okay, it's not, I found this insane place that showed me that I don't have to pay taxes. Jesus did, you do too. Like he said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. You, you follow and organize yourself under what Jesus has said. We don't look for loopholes. Um, if you're in an organization that has leadership, you obey that leadership. If you're in a church, this church, another church, says obey your leaders. Hopefully the ones you can trust and follow. So Hebrews 13 says, Obviously, it's on the leadership, it's on those over you to operate in a way that God has instructed them to operate, but it's on us, our response is our responsibility. So I'm not talking about, right now, some of you are going, oh, you don't know him, you don't, I don't care. That's not what we're talking about right now. Peter's talking about us. Peter's talking about us as Christians, as believers, and notice it says, not only the just ones, it says everyone, every human institution. Um, This doesn't exclude those who make bad decisions. God has the right to judge, and since all human institutions are imperfect, we trust God's sovereignty and who perfectly rules over societies and nations. And he provides a reason God does this. There are a number of reasons, but we'll just go through the text. He says, one is to punish those who do evil. 
to punish those who do evil. So, so um, authorities, I would, uh, I would argue governmental authorities, one of their primary jobs is to restrain evil, to protect those who are doing good, to praise them, and to also protect them from harm. That's the job of government. That's the job of authorities. That's the role that they take on. I think that Peter learned this from Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He's in the garden, right, before his crucifixion. And what happens? Jesus himself teaches Peter, hey, the government has the right to lay the sword on you if you pull your sword. I think he's talking about capital punishment. We can debate that later. But I I think he's just showing you here that, hey, only the government has the role of enacting that type of authority. You don't. So Peter, put your sword away. I think he's teaching Peter something there. That means that that we don't protest or act with violence. Our justice is done very peaceably and honorably. Because only the government is given that authority and given that rule. And God will judge them for the ways that they do that. Um, Understand, Peter is clear. It's not our job to punish those who are evil, restrain wrongdoing, protect those who do right. It's their job, and we need to pray that they do that. Um, Listen, I've been to other countries. I've been to Egypt, parts of the Philippines, and Israel, where, man, listen, there's no governmental restraint. You might think things look bad here. They don't have 911. Like it, it, parts of those places I was in was where if, if trouble happens, everyone's in trouble. Like government's not in, in, set up in a way by which they can come save the day. And we've got luxuries here in America that are silly. Um, and, and you've got places all over the world. You've got Sudan, you've got parts of Pakistan, the Middle East, and parts of China and Russia where, man, things are happening that would make your skin crawl. And God says, I've actually ordained these things and put these things in place for our protection, for our good. Um, And he says, I love this, it's for the Lord's sake. Here's what this means. It's for the Lord's sake. Um, Every authority that's established by God is ultimately for God. Okay, so, so God establishes these things. They're ultimately given by God for God. Now here's what this means. It means two things, I think. Number one, it means this is gonna be really hard for us. Um, it means that we're going to see things happen. We're going to see leaders make decisions. We're going to see authorities do things that wound us and hurt us. And it's going to be difficult for us to see how such wickedness can lead to beauty. And the reason it's difficult is because we're so limited in our scope. I mean, you, you, we, we forget who God is. We forget that God can use people to produce something of his ultimate means and ends and goods that we can't see. And this is hard for us because we want to see things now. We want to see beauty now. We want to see justice now. That's just not always God's economy. God's economy is justice will always be done now, in the future, or in eternity. But it's always coming. And it's always going to be done. No one gets away with anything. Uh, I think for some of us, we just need to remember that God sees all, God knows all, God is a perfectly clear, perfectly wise, perfectly fit plan that he is working all things towards his means and his accomplishments. And just because we can't see beauty yet doesn't mean beauty's coming. Um, I think there's a lot of places in scripture where you can see this. Romans 9, God exalts Pharaoh, crushes Pharaoh. Why? So all the nations would be like, man, that God is amazing, holy, and awesome. That's why he does it. That's why he operates in that way. I'm sure the people living under Pharaoh for those years were going, man, this is brutal. 
I mean, how in the world is any good going to come from this? God exalts, God brings down, God does all of those things. The second thing, though, I think this means is not just that it will be difficult for us, but we need to have a high view of God. We need to have a high view of God for the Lord's sake. Listen, wicked leaders will not get away with anything. Wicked authorities will not get away with anything. If there are people that um, a particular political leader or person or boss or authority that you think is just plain wicked, if God agrees, they will get their time. If God agrees is the key, they will get their time. We need to have a high view of God. Authority is an instrument. It's not an end. God is the ultimate end. But authority is but an instrument. Um, I was thinking as, as I was studying this week of a passage I love in Isaiah, Isaiah 6, where, where King Uzziah dies, but that's when Isaiah gets the vision of God. And I love that because if you know anything about Israel, when there are good kings, everything's awesome. When there are bad kings, everything's really bad. And God basically says to Isaiah, when Isaiah dies, Uzziah dies, I think he was king for 53, 52 years, he dies and God says, hey, um, I know you're panicking, I know you're worried because you lost a great leader, you're not sure who the new leader is going to be, but let me remind you of who's king. Let me remind you of God. And he shows him this insane picture, right, of him seated on the throne and, and the thresholds are shaking at his voice and there are seraphims just saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And remember, he just realizes how pathetic he is. He's like, man, I've said some things that are pretty bad. I've watched, I haven't watched my mouth and that's why he feels dirty. But he's in the presence of a holy, inexhaustible, glorious being. And I love this because the idea here is, look who's really in charge, I mean, how many of us, man, just need to remember who's in charge? Like the president's not in charge. Your boss is not ultimately in charge. Your parents are not ultimately in charge. Teachers are not ultimately in charge. Even though God has instructed them and placed them and ordained them to be in specific roles to do certain things, they're not ultimately in charge. So when they operate wrongly, we don't fall apart. We roll up to the God who's in charge. And God says, look at me. He's not surprised. He's sovereign, he's good, he's ruling, he's reigning. Now, I know this brings up so many questions, this text, and we don't have time to, to talk through all of them. I just want to think of a main one. Um, when do I not do this? Right? That's probably a question a lot of us are asking. I mean, when do I not then submit to a human institution? Is it ever okay? Um, I think the scriptures seem to have a clear lane on when it's free to rebel against authority, and it's when they're asking you something that goes against God's decrees and commands. And I think you have scriptural mandate for this. Um, I mean, the first immediate place I go is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because I got taught that you know, story, the great thing, see, Burton kids learning some good theology back there. Those stories weren't just in vain. They were, they were good. I mean, what happens, right? The king says, bow to my image. That goes against God's decrees and commands. I can't worship this. I worship him. And what happens? They, they say no. They say no. I can't submit to that. What happens? They get thrown in the fiery furnace. Praise God. God spares them. 
I think that's in Daniel 3. Daniel 6 is a great one too. Daniel's great. Just read Daniel. But Daniel 6 is great too. He said, you can't pray to anyone but, I think it's whichever king was the king at the time. And what does he do? He finds a way to still pray in private. I, I can't obey that. I could only pray to God. Acts, Peter gets up, preaching the gospel. All of a sudden, there's a big conflict with God and government, right? They're like, you can't say that. You can't preach that. You can't talk about that. And Peter says, hey, I gotta obey God on this one. Man, this is, this is our brother um, Shabazz in Pakistan who we support as a missionary. He is in hostile places. He tells me regularly about ways by which he is told and knows that he cannot preach this message and finds ways to preach the message. He knows it's the only message that saves. I think there are, there are times by which we do not have to obey, and that's if it goes against God's commands. I'm gonna, I'm gonna flesh that out a little bit in a little bit more in just a bit, but understand, earthly authority is not the highest authority, but it is authority. God is the highest authority. So we submit to earthly authority until it forces us to disobey God's ultimate authority. Okay? So, so it's still authority. It doesn't take away authority. The reason it has authority is because God has given it the authority. And we're ultimately submitted to God who is the highest authority. Um, this is why I think Peter would agree with me that civil disobedience is the last resort. The last resort. Um, so if you are a child and you're like, Pastor Mike, I want to disobey my parents. Um, my hope is that you have gotten a lot of counsel from a lot of godly people who are not your age. Right, like that's, that's my hope. My hope is that you have, you have cleaned the scope with men and women who you trust, who love Jesus, who know the Bible before you ever dared just straight up disobey your parents. Right, I mean, if, if you're going, um, yeah, my boss, I don't need to obey my boss or submit to them, I, I really hope that that's a last resort. I really hope that they're literally commanding you to knife everyone in your office. Okay, then, okay, yes, can't do that. That's illegal to the national government and God says don't murder. Right, like this is so, you, you have to be so careful. Your heart's so wicked and that's why Peter knows this. Is you're gonna look for loopholes, you're gonna look for ways to operate in a convenient, comfortable way and he's just gonna say things that are so serious. If you're gonna disobey the government, man, that should be a last resort. If you really think they're instructing you to do something that goes against God's demands and decrees, you consult, you talk, you spend time with people who you believe can give you a helpful, well-rounded, full view to know if that's what you should actually do. So Peter's showing us that's not our first initial step, that's our last step. First step is to gladly come under these men and women God has placed over our souls, ultimately for our good, and to be a witness to his name. Now, um, we submit and then we serve. Verse 15, he's going to get a little practical here for us. Thank you, Peter. We need that. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We submit to authority and then we serve. Um, so what do we do as good missionaries, Peter? We should be good citizens. We should be good citizens. 
He says that by doing good, we silence the ignorance of foolish people. Um, This means that we are the type of people who pray and protest. So so for some of us, uh, maybe it's all we want to do is protest, yet you do not pray for authorities. You do not pray for those over you. All you want to do is picket. There are others of us that maybe, man, we we pray for our leaders, we lay before God, we beg God to move in the heavens to to usher in people that would inaugurate his name and renown and celebrate his name and renown and do the things that we would love to see with justice and mercy, Um, but maybe that's all you do, and sometimes you need to also open your mouth about what's not okay and not be blindly loyal to your political party. Right? I mean, this is, let's just be honest here. Like, silencing the ignorance of foolish people is both ways. So we don't just have this cynicism that is constantly, America's just shady, and like it's always up to something not good, and everyone's always corrupt, but we're also not those people that say, I just love my political party, I don't even care the sin that they commit or the things that they say, I'll just trump all their sin with this card that says, I love the party I'm in. We need to silence the ignorance of foolish people, which means we call out wrongdoing for wrongdoing, but we also gladly pray for and celebrate and appeal to God to move in the hearts of the men and women he's placed in office. And we need wisdom for that. I remember just thinking about silencing the ignorance of foolish people. Sani was a girl. She was Hindu. She was in our ministry at the church we were at down outside Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia. She just amazing her story and she's a Hindu who becomes a Christian she was brought by friends to the church and Kristen and I had been spending time with her meeting with her and I got a phone call like two weeks after we baptized her from her mom and her mom said um I I can't believe what I'm hearing I hear that my daughter Sandy has become a Christian and um she's not allowed to be coming to your church and we've instructed her not to come to your church and I'd appreciate it if, if you would encourage her in that way. Um, so what did I do? I did. I did. Um, as a way to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I said, Sandy, are you underneath the roof of your parents? Yes. Well, let's walk through the scriptures together. What does the scriptures encourage you to do? Obey your parents and everything. Right? So, so here, here's the thing. Your parents are going to be testing your convictions as a Christian. So I said, can you read the Bible in your room privately? Yes. Is your mom going to be okay with that? Yes. Okay, well, let's watch God move in that way. And let's silence the ignorance of foolish people. So she goes home. She stops coming to church. She obeys her parents. I call her mom back and say, hi, I just want to let you know that we, we agree that God has set up structure in the home in such a way by which it's beautiful. And children are called and commanded to obey their parents. And her brother ends up becoming a Christian, and her mom now attends church with her. It is not yet a believer, but listen, man, you got to be wise. You want to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You do good. You live faithfully and humbly. And you also follow all that the Bible has to say. Um, when I was coaching lacrosse, I, right when I moved here, I, I coached down in Virginia before I moved here, and it was just a great way for me to get in the community before we planted the church, and as we kind of started out, and I was coaching a local high school in the varsity program, and, and I remember when, when they got my, like, my resume going, oh, man, I don't want to let, this guy's a pastor? Since when do we let pastors coach kids? This is like recipe for disaster, right? And northern New Jersey is going to show up with a Bible, and he's going to have like a flamethrower of verses, and just whip 
whip the kids, right? So I'm like, no, it's not me. I just really want to play lacrosse and, and, and enjoy a winning season. Um, and so ultimately, they, they let me come on, and I'll never forget, I, there were kids, and I was told that I'm not allowed to say anything, but if a student or, or player asked me something, I could respond. That was kind of how... It was said. Um, and so there was one particular player named Steve, and he would just engage with me on all types of questions. Amazing. And, and he had a Jewish background, and, and so he would ask me all about, how do you know Jesus is the Messiah and this and that? Um, so eventually, like, like one of our third or fourth games, I'm, I'm, we're, we're playing a team, and I'm on the field, and I, I just hear this older man screaming, which one's Coach Reed? And I'm like, oh, that's not, that's not good. Like, which one's Coach that doesn't sound positive. Like, like normally it's like, let's go. You know, like that does. That sounds like he wants me. So, so um, I, you know, kind of did one of these, and and I realized he was talking to his son. It was Steve's father, and so he calls me to the fence on the track. So this is in the middle of the game. I walk. I'm like, I got some call, plays to call right now. Is this really important? And he just chews me out, telling me how he can't believe that I'm sharing the things I'm sharing about his son, and it's not my right to do that. And um, so I said, listen, I said, um, one, I am, I am sorry. I said, your son had asked me questions, and I wanted to respond to his questions. I'm not trying to push him in anything. I want him to see the truth for himself. The Bible actually teaches that children should obey and submit to their parents, so I'm trying to encourage your son also to gladly come under your roof and submit to you, but if you don't want me to do that, I don't have to do that. He's like, oh, no, 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 that, that's cool. That's cool. I mean, you see, like, it's, it's you. He's like, oh, that's what you're teaching? That's what the Bible says? I mean, you just, you just got to know how to silence ignorance of foolish people. Um, you don't go in there and blast him. Say, oh, you don't stop me from preaching the gospel to your son. How stupid is that? that that's ignorance, fighting ignorance. Um, we want to live wisely as good citizens, humble, loving, patient, thinking through how we speak and how we act. And I love this. This is why he says, act as free people, not using it as a cover-up for evil, but living as though you serve God. This simply means live as though the gospel's actually happened to you. That's what that means. Are we not free in Christ? Are we not free from sin, free from death, free from condemnation, free from the penalty of the law? Are we not free from all those things? Peter says, yeah, you're free, but don't abuse your freedom thinking you don't have to listen to what anyone says. Yeah, you're free in Christ, but you're still free in Christ in the by means by which you're underneath God's ruling and reigning, the establishments God has put in place. Realize that serving God through your submission to those above you, you're being a witness. Realize that, that you use your freedom out of love for God and for his mission. We exercise that appropriately. Freedom in Christ and citizenship in the kingdom of God in no way frees us to live outside the very establishments that God himself has ordained. This is what this also means, is you go to the Bible before people. You go to the Bible before people. I know that we've got Fox News lovers in here and CNN lovers in here. I know some of you are going, I don't know what either of those are. I love you. I love you. I'm so glad you don't. Uh, but, but there's this, you kind of got these two, these two camps that are always pitted. I mean, it just drives me insane. It's like all I hear. Did you hear what so-and-so said? Did you hear what so-and-so said? Did you hear what this broadcaster said? Listen, um, to be honest, I don't really care. I want to know what God said first. 
So your allegiance is not to talking heads. Your allegiance is to God. So we always go to the Bible before people. This is what he's showing us. We're servants of God. Um, so, so we're wise in how we even understand authority and how we come under authority. At first saying, what has Jesus said? Um, there may be people in our camps or on our broadcast that don't say things that are always right. That are always 100% in line with what the scriptures say. And if you think that, you're living a naive life. And you're also, I would argue, harming the mission and kingdom of God. And so here, what he's showing us is, man, we want to be interested always in what God says. We're serving God. We live as free people, but we're constrained to what God has put limits on and scope on and gives us to do underneath his rule and reign. And he says, we also don't use our freedom as a cover-up for evil. This is common in church life today. Um, Most, not most, some, uh, it's like, in church world, if you commit a crime, we'll just deal with it internally. No, no, we also believe in not church government, but state government. And if you commit a crime, we're reporting you. Like that, that's just, that's part of us fulfilling 1 Peter 2.13 as leaders. Um, this is the classic example of horrific child abuse. You've, you've seen it probably coming out everywhere where, where there are just these cases and these discussions about child abuse happening in churches, how it's the most prevalent place for that to happen. And, and, and what happens is a lot you'll hear is um, you'll find in the history and in the data that's been rolled out is that these guys were previously at other places and the churches knew it was happening, but they either fired the guy or got rid of the person but didn't want to say anything, didn't want to report anything, so it just keeps happening. We believe, no, we say that it's happening and we report it to the governmental authorities because that's their job. And that's a way by which we live as free people in the kingdom of God. Not as a cover-up for evil. We don't use the authority God's given us in church government as a cover-up for evil. We know that local authorities are ultimately given for protection, to restrain evil. So practically... Another note just for you as you're looking at this text. If, if, if you work, um, assuming people know you're a Christian, work really hard. Do a great job. Don't complain. Don't complain. Get there early. You want to know why? So that people are going, uh, where more are you to hire? Right? Where can I get more of you? Why are you so faithful in your work despite the fact that your boss is not someone I would love to respect or submit to? Why do you still do what you're told? Why do you still joyfully do your job? Because you serve a higher authority. You serve a King Jesus who loves you and has your identity fixed because you've been adopted as a son or daughter in his kingdom because he's paved a better way. Um, Verse 17 is going to end just with kind of like, I love it. These are kind of great footnotes to all this, really helpful. It seems a little odd, but it's actually right in line. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Honor everyone. How do we do this? We honor everyone. Peter, how do we live in such a way by all the human institutions that are placed over us. We live as good, faithful citizens, not as free people, abusing our freedom and as a cover-up for evil, yet serving God. Um, 
honor everyone. Everyone is made in the image and likeness of God. Everyone deserves respect. So he says, honor them. You don't have to agree with everyone's decisions. You don't have to do what everyone says. You honor them. Now understand, I love that he uses the word honor because honor does not mean obey. It's all about your posture. It's all about your heart. It's all the way by which you carry out your duties being underneath those who are over you. Um, So how do you speak about those in authority? How do you talk about them? That's part of honoring everyone. Um, In preparing for marriage, this is common. We use this all the time with couples. Kristen and I, we're walking with couples, getting ready to get married. It's always the whole leave and cleave, like what's the relationship now with our parents and our in-laws and how does that all work and we're one flesh now and yet do we obey everything our parents say? I'm like, yeah, that's complex and that's normal and that takes navigation, but we always say the scriptures clearly say you obey your parents and everything until you're no longer under their authority, but the honoring in Ephesians 6 never ceases. So, so, so we're always called, and the honoring is in you listen to their counsel. You gladly and humbly listen to what they say. You might not have to obey everything they say, but the posture by which you take towards them is really important. So you still honor. The honoring never stops. Um, some will say, well, the person above me, what if they hate Jesus? Honor them. Honor them. What if they make decisions I don't agree with and like? Honor them. If you work, that's your boss. If you're a student, that's your teacher. If you're a citizen, it's those in office. If you're a child, it's your parents. Quite frankly, I am deeply burdened as your pastor, not necessarily just for us, but for the Christian community and how I hear them speaking about other political parties and the LGBTQ community, and race. Some of the ways we speak about them is humiliating to Jesus, and you need to know that. It's not honorable. I'm not saying you don't speak honestly. I'm saying you speak honorably. And there's a big difference. I mean, it, like, it makes me want to puke the way I just hear people talking it's like just always the angry bloggers, always these, you know, just, I'm like, man, why can't we show people a third way? Where we speak honestly and we love people towards the truth. We don't, we don't shy away from biblical convictions, but you speak in such a way by which they say, totally disagree, but I'll listen. Totally disagree, but, but my ears open. Right? That's what Peter is talking about here. Um, The lack of respect in our speech, by and large, is horrific. And I think Peter is challenging us in some of those ways by saying, man, we honor everyone in this. There are people in office that are not going to make decisions you like. And we have a duty to pray. We have a duty to plead with God to override those decisions. They're decisions that we don't believe are going to bring about the things that God wants to see. But man, the way we speak about them is also a witness as to who we serve. And that's what Peter's saying here. He says, love the brotherhood. Oh, if we were to lean into anyone for hope and the reminder of wisdom and walking with an authority that's broken under the perfect authority of Jesus, we need one another. We need the family of faith. 
We need to pray with one another. We need, if we're disunified in how we operate under authority, how's anyone going to see the beauty of submitting to authority? How's anyone going to see that? And that's what he's showing. That's what he is appealing to here. Um, this is a powerful testimony. Um, man, we love the Baptists. We love the Presbyterians. We love Methodists. May we love those that teach the clear gospel, preach the inerrant scriptures. May we love them. We're, we're not unified in all our practices of baptism and Lord's Supper and those kinds of things. But man, we, we still show that, man, we love the brotherhood. We love those that are in the big U universal kingdom of God. And it's good that we have denominations. It's good that we can scatter and kind of get where we feel more at home. But ultimately, we're all going to be at home in heaven. So he says, even the ways that you operate in that way demonstrates your love for a higher authority. And then I love this, the only one word of fear is who? God. Fear God. We don't fear human establishments, we fear God. Uh, This means our hope is only tied to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our hope is not lunatic. Our hope is not ultimately new leaders in office. Our hope is not ultimately the same leaders staying in office. Our hope is not ultimately leaders changing offices. Our ultimate hope, our only hope, our final hope is always in, I'm fearing the one who's in office. The office. Like, 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 Like who has a candlestick on God's office? He created what we have, what we exist in. So we fear God. This is what he's showing us. And this is why every bit of thankfulness for what we have and what we see should always be given to God first and not some president and not some leader and not some authority. Ultimately, we thank God. And then we honor those in office, we honor those in authority, but ultimately Jesus is the means by which we have any bit of what we have. So he says we fear God. Understand, um, this whole thing with, with fearing God, this is when, G, when, 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 when Peter's with Jesus and, 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 and Jesus comes on the scene. No, all of the, the movements wanted this coming Messiah to be a political one. And they all wanted it to be basically morality legislated. That's why they come to Jesus, the Pharisees constantly, and they say, hey, um, hey, they try to like pin him and they try to make him king and Jesus just refuses being king because he knows when the time is right to be king and he knows that he's already king and they say, hey, what should we do about paying taxes? And he goes, give to Caesar what Caesar's. Pay your taxes. Do your civil duty. Be underneath the authority of the law. Like, like they're all saying this, but here's what's amazing is, here's what's important. Historically, this is the way that it's always worked. Jesus comes not to legislate morality, not to legislate some governmental demands. He comes by which people are transformed by him, and as people are transformed, they follow Matthew 28 and make disciples, and as disciples are made, culture is transformed. It doesn't work the other way. The gospel's business is not legislating morality and laws, even though we should pray for those things and beg God for move, to move in those ways. I'm not, not saying we shouldn't be involved politically. I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in those ways. I'm just saying that's not the primary way God's designed it to be. So if your final hope is legislation, you're going to be constantly discouraged. <laughs> I mean, when are you, you know... We're exiles, sojourners. He keeps telling us that in this letter. Um, That's why did you know that you'll never feel at home with legislation here? And if you're thinking you're ultimately going to, I'm just saying that's a bad place to put your final hope. 
Final hope is always in fearing God and fighting the right fight. This is why Peter's reminding us, we're exiles, we're sojourners. This is nothing new. God's not surprised. God's not there going, oh my gosh, it's November 2019. I can't believe he's in office. Or I can't believe that person's a governor. Or I can't believe that's how this system is set up. He's not surprised. He's not going, I can't believe that law got passed. He's reigning, he's ruling, he's in authority, and we beg God to move amidst the leaders in the lands, but we don't put our hope in Washington, we put it in heaven. We say, God, do this, do these things. The sins of leaders do grieve his heart, but his way and will will always prevail. So we stay faithful, we love Jesus, we love people, and we go after making disciples who make disciples that transform culture. And we honor those above us as we do that. As long as, and we obey them, as long as they're not calling us to go against the decrees and commands of God. And then he ends with honor the emperor. I love that. Don't bow your knee to him. He gives kind of the highest person at the time. You don't worship him, you honor him. I don't know about you, but I see a lot of worshiping of people in high offices. We don't worship them. We honor them. They're not Jesus. We're called to honor them with what we say. But Jesus is king, and so we want culture to contend with Jesus, not us. And this means that we pray for them. So let's just take a minute to pray for these things. Let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for those who are above us and our places of influence. Take a minute. Pray for your boss. Pray for your parents. Pray for your teachers. Let's take a few minutes to do this. Let's pray for our president. Let's pray for our governors and Supreme Court offices. I'm just going to give you guys a few minutes to do that right now. Pray that God would move. Pray that God would intervene in ways he needs to. Pray that God would move their hearts to loving Jesus. Maybe you just simply pray for your own heart and the, and the posture it has towards those in authority. That you would see God as a good authority in your life. Jesus, we recognize that um, it just reveals our own fracture from the residual effects of the fall in our response to being underneath authority that's imperfect. So thank you that you lead us perfectly as our senior pastor and as our chief operator. Um, God, I pray that our allegiance most fully and, uh, and finally would be under you. And then Jesus, would you give us wisdom and humility and um, counsel as to how to live underneath the human institutions that you've ordained and you have established and you have put in place. I pray that we would desire justice and that we would desire mercy. God, I pray when the 
authorities above us do not act in ways that honor you and please you, that you would correct those, that you would bring justice. We're thankful that you say vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Jesus, help us not to take vengeance out when we're not supposed to. Help disobedience to those in authority only be and as a last resort when we are asked to do something contrary to your decree and command. But God, might our first resort and our first step always be how might I, with the help of the Holy Spirit, enablement of his presence, live in such a way underneath those above me that honors the name of Jesus and is a great witness to his work and name. God, would you help us, especially in a time that we find ourselves in, to love our neighbor well and to love Jesus by how we act and speak. And Jesus, would many more trust in the saving work of Jesus because your church is a bright witness of your name and renown. Um, God, help us to trust you more than we currently do in the men and women that you place in high positions. And may we submit to your authority and leadership in all-knowingness, omniscience, um, omnipresence, omnipotence. Might those be sweet gifts to us in uncertain seasons. And Jesus, thank you that you promised to build your church and that nothing will prevail against it. Thank you that even hell itself will not stop you doing what you're doing for your fame and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.